This is what God says to them. You know, instead of telling them to run back to Jerusalem or run back to their farms, he says this. In verse 4, he says, uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. He said, you know, he said, wherever you are, don't hate the place that I've put you. Love, love it. Pray for it. Pray for me to work there. You know, so we should love our city. We should pray for it and actively seek to make it better. That's what got... God told the Israelites. He didn't say, you were carried away captive, now run back home. He said, no, make this home. Make it work where you are. So when, when Jesus returns, uh, Jerusalem, the city of God, um, is going to be what a city should have been all along. Right? It's going to run correctly. Uh, so we'll go back and look at that. Isaiah 26, verse 2. He says, open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. Remember, he was talking about this is, this is a, a place where we are finally going to have peace. And the ones who keep the truth may enter in. You know, faithfulness has a, has a really tight relationship with peace. What I mean by that is the closer we're walking with God, right, the more peace we find that we have. Because sin will rob you of your peace. In Galatians, Paul says this in chapter 5. Some of you probably have this memorized, but it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Peace, right? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is not like the, the gifts of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. That means you can't say, well, I, yeah, I got love and joy, but I don't have patience. No, if you got the Holy Spirit, all of those are, are possible anyway. Some may be a little harder for you. But peace should be readily available to you if you are a believer in Jesus. You've got the Holy Spirit inside of you, and He says... I give you all of these things. And if it's not, if peace is not readily available or easily attained for you, there's a good chance that there is some sin in your life that is robbing you of it. And there's a good chance that when I said that, you knew exactly what sin it was. I say you, not me. I don't have any. I'm good. So. No, I, uh, I have these same struggles. Isaiah later says this in Isaiah 48, verse 22. He says, There is no peace for the wicked, 
says the Lord. When we're not being faithful, there's no peace. Because sin will disturb the peace. It will disturb your peace. It, it, it causes you to break fellowship with other people. causes you to, to isolate. Uh, and that's why dealing with it uh, is important. Now, Jesus has already dealt with it on, on the big le- permanent level, right? He paid for your sin. Whatever sin it is that you're struggling with right now, it's not a big surprise to Jesus. He, he already knew about it, paid for it. But what he asks us to do is to confess it. And that's easier said than done. Remember, confession is not admitting to something, because he already knows about your sin. Your sin. The word confession in the original language, it means to agree. It means, I, God, I, I agree with you about this. I've been holding on to it because it was precious to me, but now I agree with you that it was something that your son had to die for. That's what confession is. But there's a, a perfect example of, of what confession looks like. Right? It's not going into a little room and talking to a guy in a funny outfit. During David's life, there was, he had all kinds of uh, sin in his life in different times, but there's a particular period where he really got into it. He broke at least nine of the Ten Commandments, and if I could prove he did it on a, on a Sabbath, it would have been all ten. But it's during that time, uh, Psalm 32, verse 3, this is what David says. He says, When I kept silent about my sin... My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. That word is really interesting. Selah uh, or Selah. Depending on where you look it up, you'll get different definitions for what this word means. It's a musical term, we know that, because the psalms, these were songs, right? And so it's a direction to the people involved in the song. But it's got about three different meanings. It can mean to pause, right? Just take a beat. It also means to praise. And it also means to lift up. I think, personally, I think this is a command to lift your hand, lift your hands, to pause and just, God, you know. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer, right? He knows. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Right. Then he goes on a few verses later in verse 10. He says, many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. And shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. I want that. I want loving kindness and peace to surround me, not sorrows and 
feeling just heavy and drained. So we see, you know, obedience, or, you know, keep, keeping God's word, faithfulness, and confession, they're all connected to peace. But there's something else that starts before any of that. We'll go back to Isaiah 26, verse 3. He says, you will keep him, this person who is keeping God's word, right? He says, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. So what's the difference between peace and perfect peace? I don't know. But uh, in the original language, again, this is, Shalom, shalom. It's the same word. It's not just shalom, it's shalom, shalom. It's that, that we call that an, uh, an idiom of reduplication, which is just a fancy way of saying you repeat something to emphasize its importance. Um, whatever follows that idiom of reduplication is going to be a big deal, right? And so... We see that in the New Testament, what did Jesus was always saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, right? He was saying, look, this is serious truth. But he says, this perfect peace, this peaceful peace, this extra peace is there for the one whose mind is stayed on you or steadfast or has a singular focus is leaning on you. In 2 Corinthians uh, 10, verse 5, Paul says that, he says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Taking our thoughts captive. Just grabbing a hold of it. I've been reading a couple different books lately about neuroscience and because um, that's how I roll. Uh, but the, the ge- overall general consensus is that the average person has roughly 70,000 thoughts per day. I feel like I'm way under that number. 70,000 thoughts per day. That's 25 million thoughts per year, roughly. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how they figured that out, but... <laughs> you know, I, I, have a, <clears throat> I have a little bit of ADD, and uh, I, was, uh, I have this problem of putting my keys down anywhere but where they belong. <laughs> and I was about to, this, this was a week or so ago, and I was about to put my keys down on the table next to my laptop, and I remembered this phrase that my wife was trying to beat into my head, Uh, Don't put it down, put it away. Don't put it down, put it away. It's good good advice, right? I remembered it, and I'm like, that's a good slogan. Which made me think of a book I read about this guy, Edward Bernays. He, uh, He was the father of modern marketing guy lived 105 years. He was, he, he was uh, Sigmund Freud's nephew. He convinced, he's the one who convinced Americans that bacon and eggs 
was a normal breakfast. You know, people didn't eat that for breakfast until the early 20th century. He, uh, he promoted tobacco, specifically Lucky Strikes. Uh, and they wanted to increase their sales, so he realized that only men smoked Lucky Strikes. Women didn't. So then he basically helped market or, and get started uh, the women's liberation movement. And one of the things that he taught them or, or you know, told people was, you know, if you really want to be equal, uh, you should be able to smoke in public just like the men do. And you should be able to smoke the cigarettes that they smoke. As a matter of fact, we're going to call them freedom sticks or something like that. I, I don't remember what he called them. Torches of freedom. Uh, and he also told them, and these will help keep you thin. Later, he worked for uh, this fruit company. And they were having problems with shipping and prices and stuff and with uh, the government in Guatemala. And they were about to have a uh, get kicked out of the country. This guy convinced the CIA to overthrow the government in Guatemala to keep the price of Chiquita bananas down. That's where we get the Banana Republic thing. He literally wrote the book on propaganda. He's the reason we use that word for propaganda. A guy named Joseph Goebbels used his propaganda techniques during World War II uh, working for Hitler. So it's estimated, remember, this guy promoted, oh, he also promoted sugar during the 50s. So he promoted smoking, high cholesterol foods, uh, basically helped the Nazis get into power, and sugar, along with some other things. I'm, I'm leaving a bunch of stuff out. Uh, but th it's been estimated that uh, Edward Bernays is indirectly responsible for roughly a quarter billion deaths in the 20th century. Oh, I forgot. He convinced cities all across the country uh, to pay for a chemical waste byproduct from fertilizer production. To this thing that they were having to pay to get rid of, he convinced cities all across the country to pay for it and then put it in their water. That was fluoride. And then that reminded me that I've been meaning to get some clover seed to put in my yard because it helps your yard, like, self-fertilize. So I went to order clover seed on my laptop, and that's why my keys got left by my laptop. Uh-huh. So thinking about the right thing matters, right? How, uh, what you do with your thought life matters. In Philippians 4, uh, Paul says this, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says it starts with prayer, right? The, the act of, of taking something out of my hands and putting it into God's hands. And then being thankful because I know that he heard what I said. I know that he 
picked up what I put down, and he heard me. And, and wh- however he responds is going to be the best thing for me. Verse 8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Right? He says, you can control what you think about. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So are you comparing uh, your, yourself to your problems or your problems to your God, right? That's, that's really what Paul's getting at. Because it can be really easy to fall into that negative, that negativity loop, feedback loop, right? Once you start, you've, we've all been there, right? You, you get in a bad mood and now everything is bad. And you notice everything that, to complain about and you can't notice, it's hard to notice anything good. Running a little long. In Matthew uh, 14, Jesus, he tells his disciples to, to row their boat across the Sea of Galilee and uh, that he would meet them somehow on the other side. And, and in the middle of the night, they're, they're rowing and a storm comes and it, you know, they get scared and they're rowing for their lives. And when Jesus comes walking on the water, you guys have probably heard this story. I'm giving you the super abbreviated version. But here he comes and Peter realizes it's him. It's not a ghost as some of the other disciples think. And he says, I want to come out to you. And and Jesus says, well, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he walks on water briefly. And then in verse 30, it says, but seeing the wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. The wind was there before, right? The wind was there when he stepped out of the boat. Now, the funny thing about wind is it comes and it goes just as quickly. It's gone. Sometimes it's scarier than other times, but there's going to always be wind. So something that's just always going to be a part of your life scared him enough that he took his eyes off of Jesus. Go back to Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, who's focused on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Now, your translation may say, uh, God the Lord, right? It's a perfectly good translation. Um, that's literally what it is. Yah is one of the names for God, and Yahweh is another one. So it's, that's what it is. It's, uh, in the Hebrew, it's Yah, Yahweh. I can't help it, but I think of... Spicoli from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. It's like, yeah, Yahweh. But anyway. (laughs) I don't know how I'm going to recover from that. Got one more passage for you. Proverbs 3, uh, verse 5. Summarizes basically what Isaiah has said in those, those couple of verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You know, we like to think that we're smarter than we are. And the the problem becomes when, if I can't find the solution to this problem in my life, 
then there must not be one because I'm really smart. That's being wise in your own eyes. When maybe the solution is, God, I need your help, right? Because being in charge of everything in your life is stressful. But when you realize that you're not in charge, uh, it becomes a lot less stressful. One of those books I was telling about I was reading, they estimate that uh, roughly, well, depends on who you ask. It's like 60 to 90% of all illnesses are stress-related. We stress out about so many things that we have no control over, or very little. But if you will trust in the Lord, don't lean on your own understanding, and realize, don't be wise in your own eyes, when you hand it all over to Him, verse 8, it says, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. God is our Father, and as a father, I can, I can think of nothing worse than my children living in, in fear from not being able to trust me. When they were little, I, I, I had them jump into my arms. Then I taught them to ride a bike, and I ran alongside the bike until they were able to do it on their own. I, I taught them to swim. I would hold them while they learned to float. And the hardest thing was getting them to trust me in the water. I did those things in part so that they would have some concept of a father in heaven who will hold them up, who will catch them, who will run alongside them. So if there's something in your life that you've been holding on, holding on to that you shouldn't, uh, some situation you keep hoping you'll find some clever solution to that won't involve you having to admit you're wrong. Uh, just stop being wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Just jump and trust Him that what He says is true and will work. So next week we're going to get into a little bit more about what this city's about and 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 uh, what all is happening in the, there in the end times. But for, for now, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, allowing us to be together tonight. We thank you that you promise peace to us with, when, we, uh, when we're close to you, when we are in you, when we are walking with you. Uh, there is no safer place to be, no more peaceful place than in your presence. God, keep us close to you. As we go out into our lives tomorrow, let us not lose our focus. Let us not be wise in our own eyes, but just look for opportunities to, to be a light and, and to just be open to your spirit in us. Lord, we pray for your blessing on your people. We pray you come and come quickly. And all God's people said, all right, ready? Great. All right.